are back at the cafe at Artichoke Music with one of our favorite guests. And while I have this window of a month or so to be here and not on Skype before my next surgery, I'm bringing back some folks who have made great guests. Today it's Lloyd Jones, singer, composer, guitarist, and a guy who was full of great stories from a very long and productive career that's still going strong. I see he has brought a guitar with him, so that's something else to look forward to. So what we've basically got today is a hang, and you're invited. I got a cup of coffee here, so let's say hi to Lloyd Jones. Lloyd Jones, it's great to see you. Tom Tony, he's back. Yeah, I'm back and beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. It's so good to see you, man. It's been a long time. Long time. For everything. For everything and everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, so well, I got this window here between surgeries, as, as, as I explained last week. I'm just having some people in here that I want to have in here. Just oh, have that's in so here. kind, yeah. man. Except last week I had somebody in here that I never I never met before. Cool. Yeah, so it was good. Yes. Yeah, she's the, uh, she runs a, she's was the new it? CEO of... Uh, Portland Jazz Composers Ensemble and a drummer. Yeah? Yeah, she even knew drummer jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no shortage there. No, or and, and she knew bass player jokes too. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you used to play bass? No drums. Oh, you were a drummer? Yeah. You know any drummer jokes? Well, well, yeah, they hang out with musicians, you know, they're the ones that hang out with musicians and uh, uh -huh. The funny thing about for me playing drums was when people would say it's too busy or it's too this or that, uh -huh. and I'd get defensive about it. And then later, when I went over to the guitar and started writing tunes and uh -huh. constructing tunes and things, it's exactly what I would say to a drummer. And <laughs> I, I never liked hearing it. Now I know why they were saying it. <laughs> so yeah, you need to become a musician as well. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I forgot. I might have asked you this before because I probably ask you everything before, but we can't remember what we said. No. Um, did you have a, dr a drum drummer hero? Was there a drummer that you, you well, patterned yourself after? The problem is at my age I forget names, but you know, uh, uh, um, all the early soul guys, I just love the uh -huh. way they stayed on it. Um, and when Funkster first came about, you know, I got mm -hmm. my older brother played music and taught me drums. He was taking lessons when he was nine and I was six and he'd show me stuff. Wow. So I got it warped early on and then he told, he took me to see James Brown in 1964. Oh, he had two and drummers? And it, it was before Papa's Got a Brand New Bag in the Funk stuff. Uh. Um, but it was breaking that ground and... Uh, it warped me, and I got the Pure Dynamite live record from the gig. I, my brother and I were the only two white people in the building, and we went and watched them rehearse. They just thought it was cute as could wow. be these white kids watching. And they were so kind, and the joy in the room was so immense that uh, I got home, and I had a bass drum and a hi-hat, and uh, I just working out to beat them. And I had the record turned up. Mm -hmm. I had learned all of the lyrics. You know, I was practicing dancing to it, and I was working out to the stereo until my dad came in and just tore the arm off the thing. He had been out of town, and he thought I was, somebody was getting killed in my room. But I was, I was getting signed, sealed, delivered. And I went to my drum teacher and said, write that out. Right? Show me how to do that. So, yeah. So a lot of the stuff that, you know, especially when Tower came out, and yeah. the whole funk world opened up like that. I was young and in that moment, in that moment in time. But I was also learning to play guitar from an old friend of mine just for, to relax. And, uh -huh. and then I, I saw this thing when white audiences were becoming aware of blues. Yeah. 
Um, and it was the root of rock and roll and jazz and so many things. Mm-hmm. It, it just brought everybody together in that way. Um, I saw a missingness connection between most everybody that played blues. It was harmonica playing a shuffle or a slow blues. Yep. That's it. Yep. They never veered from that. And I'm going, there's all these other rhythm options, you know. And that's as natural a human experience as anything. And I wanted to get the storytelling and those funky grooves together. And that was why I put the, the band together in the first place. And then it spread everywhere and everybody was doing it. But that was my motivation. So huh. drums warped me along with at the same time of the guitar. Aha. Uh-huh. Storytelling came later. <laughs> We'd learned tunes. And I said, well, those are other people's stories. What about our stories? And they just look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> But uh, you have stories, Curtis. You know, Curtis Salgado was the first guy to encourage me. He was, uh, he'd say, "You got something. You got something. Turn that up." And I go, "What?" And I said, "You got a real guitar player. You don't need me." He said, "No, no. You'll go for the throat. You got it. You got a different thing." And he'd go back <laughs> and turn my amp all the way up and push me out and go, "Go!" go, go. <laughs> so that again, that was another motivation on the guitar. And they they loved it, didn't they? Well, Curtis would bring the house down, and I'd, I'd ride that wave and well, and got the confidence, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that was yeah, good. Yeah. And and he's still doing that. Yeah. You guys still playing together? Oh, man. Anytime we get a chance. I know. Anytime we get a chance, and it's still like the first time, because both of us are working on material all the time. Uh-huh. And his songwriting in the last two, three records oh, man. is a whole other ball game. The roof. And I used to kind of complain that, you know, you know, you need to dig a little deeper. And now he went through so many with the surgeries and yeah. life-threatening situations yeah his songwriting is so good it's amazing and of course his delivery is astonishing so we're big fans of each other and talk on the phone all the time about songwriting and yeah and he you know he loves the history so he'll he'll say man i'm going to send you this stuff you got to check this out this is a new orleans guy that does this and that and he said that's where this the background for this song came from are you aware of this guy i said what are you talking about and he'll send it to me so we're inspiring still to each other well i i i do that with him and you do that with him with me with me too yes with you too because your history is vast well what what i can remember of it (laughs) (laughs) that's why we record it (laughs) it's true i just before we started rolling we were were talking about a, a, a great documentary with buddy guy and and bb king and people like that are in it and i couldn't remember the name of it and i had to call my ex-wife and say, oh, okay, I don't feel so What was bad. the name of that? What was the name of that? And she said, Lightning in a Bottle. I went, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh that's great. Angelique singing Voodoo Child with, uh, with uh, Buddy Guy. Man, oh, man, oh, man. That's the stuff that motivates you. It gets the goosebumps going, and you realize in our daily lives, sometimes we don't push that far. And then when, it, when it, music does this thing where it'll lift you out of that yeah. realm that you're in it'll lift you out into another place and a lot of times things come out where you don't know where that came from oh i love that back and go love that just happened i love that that's what i miss about doing the radio show live i'll bet because i don't you know we we can't do that anymore because of the the virus i've been making i've been preparing my shows at home all this you know for almost three years now and uh and i miss being there in the in the station and being able to change my mind at the last time, throw another <laughs> CD in, different CD, and then come out, open the mic, and not know what the fuck I'm going to say. Oh, boy. You know? But there's, there's a gift in that. One time somebody asked me to substitute to do the DJ thing, and mm-hmm. I had no idea the oh. hot seat you're on. <laughs> so I admire not only the fact that there's a, a voice for us musicians, but um, that you can think on your feet and have this vast repertoire. You've done it so long with so many different... Yeah, but, so many but I don't have a guitar in my hand making a 10-minute solo like you, all right? 
Taurus. Do you, have any, you ever have any idea where your solos come from? No. Good. No. That's, that's great. I'm, 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 I'm terrible. There's that. a lot of people that can copy somebody. Yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan was the best at mimicking Albert King mm-hmm. and all the different people. And I used to, I, we crossed paths several times. And, you know, at first I was going, you know, but, but that's been done and that's not you. Yeah. And then he would say, I want to show the listener that I've listened that thoroughly. Oh. And I went, okay. Okay, that's a good point. He did his homework on the basics. And then he'd open up his thing. Yeah. But it's got a foundation to it of doing uh-huh. his homework. Yeah. So I got a new respect for that. But I could never remember. I'd learn a Freddie King tune, and then it's time to play, and I, I can't remember exactly, so I'll just play. And yeah. then I gave up trying to memorize things. I'll memorize the concept, the progression, yeah. Yeah. but not the detail. Well, that's good. I guess. Well, that's all right, because we get to hear you. But a guy said on an interview, and I love that he was bold enough to say this, that he would, had no idea where he was going, and he was playing off of pure fear that he <laughs> would go into a dead end or, you know, get tangled up and, uh, and just hoping he can get to the end and not screw it up, you know. <laughs> and I said, thank you. That's how we all feel, but you're bold enough to say it. <laughs> you get out there and hope you can get back. <laughs> you don't really get lost though do you well over the years you have all these little avenues yeah. of if you see yourself starting to go sideways yeah i got ways to get back <laughs> left and right that i can call on to get out of trouble <laughs> you develop those fairly quickly well it's hard to believe you get in trouble but maybe you do oh, yeah maybe you do oh yeah why <laughs> jim macy used to do things and i just say what are you thinking and it'd say i went as far as i could Go and then the key is I get myself in trouble and see how I'm going to get back. And he would go looking for trouble. I think that's what made him so great. He was fearless in that way. He did it on purpose. And he brought out things. You go, what was that? <laughs> yeah, but the audience don't know. They don't know. Probably, probably not. not. So. And even if they did, they would appreciate it. I forget. And that now th- that you've said it, yeah. next time people go see Lloyd Jones. <laughs> Watch and see if he gets lost somewhere and, and finds his way and comes back even stronger. Yeah, uh, I get distracted easily, and that's where I get into trouble. <laughs> you know, I'll see something or somebody will say something or I'll have a thought right in the middle of something that's not appropriate for the song, and I, all of a sudden I lose track of where I, was, where I was headed. You know how you go in the basement, you can't remember why you went there. Uh, so that's the danger these days. But now you, you're aware of it, and you start just going, well, take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> Relax. And don't listen to those other voices in your head, you know. You mean like the other people in the band? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Somebody said the other night, we had a, a CD release party. And it went really great. Right. Great turnout, and the vibe was good, and the band were getting to play the new songs, and everything's going good. And I went over to the tenor player's house later the next week, and um, he lives by me. I was going to take him his dough, and... and uh, I said, you know, we had a, we stumbled a lot at the beginning, but we really got into our groove later on. And I said, but I don't know why we screwed up the, the tune we know the best. <laughs> why that's the one we screwed up. And he said, it was because you came in with your solo too soon. Oh. I went, what? He said, it's supposed to be a tenor solo, and then you come in. And you went right for it and cut me out of the thing. I went, what? I had no idea I screwed it up. I didn't even know. I went, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I really thought you took your solo in that. I, in my mind, you did solo. And I, oh, I'm so sorry. That's so funny. We, get, we always got to watch out. That's funny. <laughs> so you brought your guitar today. Well, I, I was thinking about this uh, interview, and, and uh, the last time I saw you, 
we were in a pandemic, or saw you, I talked to you, yeah. and you were doing, um, you said, send me, I think it was a half an hour uh-huh. uh, that I would play virtually. Uh-huh. And that's what I was doing survive. The, all the gigs were gone, and I used to have a Blue Monday yeah. that I would do. So I did Mondays at 4.30 for a half an hour yeah. out of my basement. They were <laughs> awesome. And I would have to come up with another theme all the time. And I remember one of them, it was Paul DeLay's birthday. So I said, let's think about that. And I had talked to Charlie Musselwhite recently. We uh-huh. still stay in touch, and I got some yeah. great Musselwhite stories. But one of them, he said... When Paul passed, I called Charlie because they were good friends mm-hmm. and said, uh, did you know about Paul? And he said, yeah. He says, you know, I can still hear his laugh. Ooh. Ooh. What a cool thing to say about yeah. somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking and he said, and I mentioned that to him and he said, I got a box. We're moving. He said, we're moving from California out to uh, Clarksdale. And he said, I found this box of old little micro, remember the micro cassettes in yes. the answering machine? Yeah. Of Paul would call him and just go off on rants. <laughs> and he kept them. And he <laughs> still has them. He doesn't have any way to play them, but he's got wow. all these cassettes of Paul going off mm-hmm. on, it's probably, you know, discussing little Walter's childhood or something. But <laughs> uh, they were good buddies. And, and I missed their passion for this music. And, and, you know, Charlie's still a historian, you know. Sure. I said he should be mayor of the blues, governor of the blues. <laughs> he said, I don't want to work that hard. <laughs> but uh, I wrote, so I wrote a tune. I can still hear your laugh. Wow. So you want to go get the guitar? Okay. okay. And there he goes, Let's ladies and gentlemen. Just lean it over. get these ideas and then you, yeah. you don't know how much stays in your head. It's all but right. It's about. Hey, if you get lost, you'll make it up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Paul did everything at 200%. Well, yeah. So his laugh was 200%. Everything was. <laughs> Lunch was 200%. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I was just thinking about you. Made me smile. I hope somebody... I hope somebody think about me like that sometime. I try to remember some things, you know, as the time goes past. But I can still hear your laugh. I like that coffee in the morning, maybe a little bourbon late at night. Didn't we have some good times, though? You know, man, when we got things just right. We were young back then. Living that life fast. But I can still hear that laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seemed like forever. The last time I saw you. I think it was down at the lefties down there in Salem. Yeah, playing that nasty blues. He said life is hard. But it just don't last. Yeah, I still remember your laugh.
had some good times though. thinking about you made me smile I hope somebody I hope somebody think about me like that sometime that's how Charlie would say it I remember some things as these years go past but you know but you know I can still remember your laugh it's a good thing. That's a real good thing. <laughs> that is a real good thing. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we gotta keep the gotta keep these people's names in, in front of the public. Keep them live music. I always play Paul on, on my radio show. Good, you good. Know. Yeah. He brought so much to the table, and he worked hard for it. Yeah, yeah. Suffered for it too. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody had the blues, it was Paul Delay. He had to work it out his way, but it was so powerful. It, one yeah. thing I'll say, it was always par- powerful from day one. And I asked his sister at his memorial. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen her for a long time. And uh, I said, I have his question. When I met Paul, he wanted to play drums. That's how I met him. <laughs> he came to the drum shop, and he wanted to yeah. play drums. And he came in with his sister, Ora. And she was at the memorial. I said, you know, I knew him wanting to play drums. He didn't know what harmonica was. <laughs> how did that transition because it was less than a year later I ran into him in the park playing harmonica and asked him to come over to our rehearsal because our front guy was leaving and we Mm -hmm. needed a new guy to play harmonica and I thought he would dig Misi on the guitar and I was playing drums and it was a strong band and I thought he would dig it and he was powerful even then vibrato was like he had cotton's vibrato and he was 17 years old wow nobody thought that far that deep at that age yeah Um, and I said how did he get that control of that instrument then and she said she, he had met a guy a folk player uh, Danny Peacock and he had gave him a Paul Butterfield record Fathers mm-hmm. and Sons mm-hmm. a harmonica and a lid of pot <laughs> and Paul quit going to school and he went upstairs she said he had a big bedroom upstairs of the house and she'd bring him food and water and she said he took that upstairs and he played that over and over and over all day for four months he did nothing wow. but shed and i think he didn't want to go out in the public and not play well and he wasn't going to do that in public and yeah. suck he was going to he was going to be something and it's so that wood shedding and fortitude uh-huh. started from day one and i'm serious he had only been playing less than a year i think when i went out to see him in the park and wow he didn't have any gear any equipment or anything and i I was trying to play harmonica, and I was horrible, and I knew it. <laughs> I thought, I'll play horrible harmonica. He'll come and stop me, and I'll meet him. And that's <laughs> kind of how we met. And I, so I said, how do you get that vibrato? He get that cotton, really huge. And he said, you roll that tongue back in, the, lay it back in your throat, roll it, ball it up like that, and then rock it. And I said, here's <laughs> the harmonicas, the amplifier. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, he came to rehearsal, and he and Misi were two freight trains in the same room, and it, wow. was, it was just a winning combination. So, wow. Right place at the right time, kind of. Telling you the truth. Yeah, I, yeah well, I don't have the history of us growing up with this music like I do with Paul, because yeah. we were all learning at that young age at that uh-huh. same time uh-huh. and dedicated to it 
for a lifetime, and we knew then we weren't going to be intimidated by real life. <laughs> we had lot, we had the disease badly and, and supported each other in it. <laughs> and you can tell, but you know, Curtis the same way. You can kind of pick up Curtis and Paul. Are all friends? Sure. And uh, and there's a funny story that Kurt was afraid of Paul for a while because we were open for uh, um, oh, John, uh, somebody. Anyway, I remember big band, and you you played for a week and you opened for him. Well, D. Wow. K. Stewart was doing sound then as huh. a kid, and he hired Curtis to help him move monitors around. Oh, jeez! And the monitors fed back, and Paul just yelled and just tore his head off Curtis. And so Curtis was always afraid of getting in trouble. Paul would yell at him when they got to be adults and grown up, and uh -huh. they eventually became great friends. Huh. It, was, it was cool, <laughs> but I never knew any of that stuff. Curtis told me a couple of things that. Uh, I asked him to play this tune, and it's one that we recorded, Paul and I, um, yeah. back in the day in the, in the Brown Sugar Group. We only made one little tiny recording, and it was on there, but Curtis said he it took him two years to learn to play the harmonica solo on that. Wow. Because for the first year, he didn't know that he used more than one harmonica to do it. Ah. And that he was playing a different position on a different key harmonica <laughs> halfway through the song. So, and. He, so he breaks it down to me all the stuff that research that he went through yeah. that that's one of the hardest things he ever had to do was to learn that solo and he did <laughs> that's a great respect <laughs> you know? yeah 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 man oh man oh man uh, uh, uh. so that's cool stuff you know what I don't like I don't like when we're when I'm doing these things and we're just sitting around bullshitting before I start rolling because we lose stuff and you were telling a buddy guy story about when you were a kid Oh yeah. Could you, could you just tell tell me that again? Even though I'll pretend. Well, anyway, I forgot it anyway because I'm old. But well, it did have an impact. It was I think like 1967. I was in high school. Yeah. And, uh, my like I said, my brother was an older musician. He would say, "You got to go to this. Go see that." So I went to see Buddy Guy. It was Crystal Ballroom. There were probably seven or eight of us there. Uh -huh. In the whole Crystal Ballroom, there was nobody there. Nobody knew who Buddy Guy was. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's funny. I have some other stories about that later on, connected to this, but. Uh, they had matching Nehru jackets and medallions that <laughs> smelled like B.O. and wine. And scary. They looked scary. You know? A.C. Reed on tenor, Fred Below on drums, which I didn't know at the time, and I'll get uh -huh. back to that. But they opened with Knock on Wood, huh? crushing. And I'm just thrilled because his voice is, ah! you know, he's yeah. just blood-curdling voice yeah. and dead on and whatnot. And after about a half hour, he says, if they'd locked the doors, we'd have played in the street. And he wow. turns loose the guitar on the bottom end of the strap, and it hits the floor. But he's got it by the neck, and he's dragging it behind him with this long cord <laughs> out onto the floor of the crystal ballroom, dragging the guitar on the floor and kill him. He's playing <laughs> while he's dragging it on the floor, shaking his head like, you know, I, I just got to get this out. And it was so devastating. I had never seen anything that brutal and intense yeah. um, that I was warped forever. And when I started the struggle, it was with the – he had two – tenor and alto two saxes uh -huh. and no keyboards Whoa. and that was the instrumentation the struggle started as because uh -huh. that was in my mind yeah the, you know the intensity yeah. you got a big band effect with a small group that could travel on the road uh, but i never forgot it later i was playing with uh, curtis we had a band called in your face and we were opening for buddy guy and, and junior wells and they had played at taylor's in eugene uh -huh. traveling in a station wagon oh geez splitting five hundred dollars oh and uh, Jeez. I says to Buddy Guy, I says, you know, I, I told him about seeing him back in 67. Uh -huh. 
And when I told him about it, he whirled around. He said, and that was Fred Bilo on drums. Like he remembered it like this. <laughs> and then he said he didn't understand after. Because even at Key Largo, they were getting like a few hundred bucks. Jeez. Nobody knew who they were. And he said, I don't understand what it takes. I've been, I've traveled Europe with muddy waters. Yeah. And I can't make a dime. I can't break through. I don't know what it takes. Shortly after, within a year after that, he uh -huh. made the recording on Silvertone with Eric Clapton and all the white rock guitar well, players go. that everybody knew. Yeah. And they, what they were doing was bringing Buddy Guy to light. Yeah. So they were on the record so white audiences would right. buy it. Right. And then they'd discover Buddy Guy. And when you hear uh, the intensity of yeah. him, you realize that he's digging way deeper than the rock guys. Yeah. Because it was where there. it comes from now, his book yeah. is really cool. Um, he... He isn't full of anger. He's full of joy. Uh -huh. uh, he talks about his, his sisters teaching him to cook and uh -huh. how, he, how his cousin helped him get into Chicago and how uh, Muddy Waters came to see him. And, and uh, the club owner says, uh, you got to go see the mud. And he goes, no, I'm all dressed up. I don't want to get in the mud. He's, no, go out front, <laughs> see the mud, Muddy Waters. He's parked uh -huh. out front, wants to see it. He goes <laughs> out there and... and uh, Hop in the back. It's a big limousine parked out front. Hop in. He says, "You you eating all right?" Because he's, <laughs> you know, he's really having a hard time just yeah. crashing at his cousin's place and, right. and trying to get a gig and whatnot. Yeah. And he brought fixings to make sandwiches. Wow, is that cool? That is really amazing. <laughs> That's great. Well, he also got him some studio dates, and Buddy Guy would show up on time and crush, uh -huh. and you could count on him. And would, so a lot of these early recordings, if you go back and it says Friendly Fellow or something on guitar, uh -huh. it was Buddy Guy, and he got a good reputation in Chicago as this is the new up-and-coming guy, wow. and, wow. and Buddy helped him. And he hasn't lost an ounce of that intensity. I either. know it. He's old and still out there killing. Well, I just, like I was telling you, that I went and saw didn't mean to. I went into Legends in Chicago uh -huh. Thursday, and there's another band playing, and he comes up. It does a slow blues, comes up to the microphone, crevassier in one hand, <laughs> and it was that blood-curdling. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. And man, yeah. I got goosebumps. He walked by when I was, he got done. I was standing, and I just took my hand, and I said, you got me like the very first time. <laughs> and he does. He hasn't lost a thing. No. Can you imagine? I didn't know. No, the way I can't he was imagine. Drinking in the old days, I didn't know he was going to make it this it's long. Hard, it's hard for me to imagine. <laughs> but he is not sloppy. He's dead uh -uh. on his voice range is right where it's yeah. ever has been. It's so yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. If, if now, and now, I guess people still know him now. Yeah, oh, he's, now he's other, the draw. He's the number one. Yeah. He's the last yeah. real deal out there. I guess you're right, except for him and Bobby Rush. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, of course, <laughs> he doesn't use the props that Bobby Rush uses. <laughs> like I know what you're talking about. Women with enormous posteriors. Waving their and, oh, and and Bobby waving their underwear around, you know, you, that's hard to beat. Okay, it, so we're over in, in Europe playing this festival, and he's on the festival, so he's in the hotel Who? that we're in, and I didn't which, know which, that. Which, which, Buddy Guy or Bobby Rush? Buddy, Bobby Rush. Okay, but and he was like kind of, you know, he's eating cornflakes, and he says, "Hey man, you ever, you come by my place and visit? You ever over here and there?" And then these two women with this giant things they put in yeah. so their ass is yes. 10 times bigger than regular <laughs> and instead of hiring a horn section or a keyboard player yeah. he's got two or three women that just yes. shake that yes booty. yes that's, that's, he hires it's them funny. to travel what? on the road that's great one time at the blues at the blues festival was we got to go when we, when we had the the booth 
you know, with the with the the uh, couches in it and everything. And you sat on one of those couches, and um, and so uh, Amanda was bringing Bobby Rush up to to, to her part of the booth, and uh, I, I was I was there. I was you know this is before anything started, and uh, he is just. He is just being the profane Bobby Rush in the funniest way. And only he can pull it off. He, only, and he so, anyway, so, so I said, hey, can we do a little interview? And he said, sure, sure. So as soon as I turned the recorder on, profanities ended. Wow. He did. He did a beautiful interview, turned the recorder off. He said, thank you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, it comes from a... There's a humor that's uh, yeah, know, it's cool. Yeah, oh, he, he, it's among the few people can get away with it. Oh, I mean, he was, he was kidding. I mean, he was yeah, just giving me shit, just breaking my balls. But it was fine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who would want who don't want who wouldn't want to be kidded by Bobby Rush for God's sakes? You know, <laughs> it's an honor. <laughs> yeah. At first, I, I was going, oh no, and then when he when he got to working his game, I went, yeah. you know. I'm falling for it. I think. Oh I, yeah, I'm loving it. Oh, got got to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That is very funny. Well, and he's still he's recording. He was. I think he was up for a. He's been up for a couple of awards. I think he was up for a Grammy. He didn't get it, but uh, he should have. He's a hardworking guy. Yeah, he's still play, he's still playing at what's left of the Chitlin Circuit. Yeah, you know. He yeah, he's a, a tough gr- guy. It's a great book on the Chitlin Circuit. I love that. Came out a few years ago. That I, I I've been I've been working. It's a great book, you know. What a, what what a grind. Yeah. What a grind. Can oh, you imagine? Man. Yeah. Yeah. You had to invent your own world. Yeah. But yeah. they discuss towns. There were places in towns in a black neighborhood where they would start getting black-owned businesses. Yes. And they said at this end, um, how did it go? There'd be the bank. Right. Borrow the money, and then there'd be all the fun stuff to do. Yeah. And the other end of town was the hospital where you'd wind up. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, it's a good thing you didn't end up in a hospital. I'm so lucky. I am so you lucky. Are. I'm doing you are. just fine. I'm sure you came close. Keep my finger. You came close. Yeah. You know, you didn't get your ass in jail, right? Or did you? <laughs> no. No, I've stayed out of jail. That's good. Not me. I'm feeding myself. So I, I, they threw me in jail a couple of times. When I was running the hit the, the 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 hippie the hippie newspaper in Baltimore, I got to, I, they tossed me in jail a couple of times. Wow. Yeah. You and interesting people. <laughs> One time they busted me for having an obscene bumper sticker. Really? Put my ass in jail because I had an obscene bumper sticker. What did it say? Fuck for peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a peace love thing. Just put the cuffs on me and say, we're taking you to jail. Wow. Yeah. I mean, ACLU took the case and I, and I got out, but wow. still, you know, those were the days. Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end, you but they, they did end, but you, not really, because they're, now they're back in different ways, because they're still throwing people in jail. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's getting rough out there. Yeah, so it's great that you're back working. I know, it is, and I'm glad that I'm able to, so, so I'm blessed and delighted. And you're still here on First Fridays? At yeah, Artichoke? I've got a little series that's, First Friday, I, it's generally a trio or a duo but mm-hmm. i uh have a guest the fun for me is i have to learn mm-hmm. the guest's material and so it pushes oh. me to learn oh that's good did one with uh kim fields it was really fun i did it i did i did he was on the podcast about his book yeah oh oh good yeah good, good. yeah yeah that was terrific yeah he's a great cat and uh uh 
had Mary Flower on. I had to do some homework there, and that oh, was boy. That was such a delight and yeah. challenge. We play 180 degrees different from each other, but respect sure the other one. And it's and I wanted to do it on purpose for that very reason. That uh-huh. She owns the ragtime stuff, sure, and I'm come from a different place being a drummer, you know. And so uh, the way that worked, I hope we do it again. It was a delight. Um, Mark Shark I've had on a couple uh-huh. of times. Brought uh-huh. Louis Payne on, on on the organ. That's nice. And he's written these instrumentals like Booker T. Instrumental. Uh-huh. And I would have to learn all that stuff. And wow. so I purposely put myself on the hot seat. That's good. And it's different than what I do with my band, and it's different than my solo thing. Uh-huh. So it's uh, First Fridays is a unique little thing in a nice listening room like this. Yeah, you still going to do it during the Blues Festival? I think so. Yeah? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So you got, are, are you on this, uh, there's a there's a, uh, a benefit for Artichoke coming uh, called uh, How Stumptime Got the Blues. That's a movie. Yeah. And uh, they're having a uh, a fundraiser for Artichoke at uh, Mission Theater. Are you involved in that? Are you playing yeah, in that? Yeah, I volunteered to do that. I, I like it here at Artichoke. And, yeah. And they've been supporting the music and the creativity here, all kinds of music and creativity. Yep. So vice yep. versa, I'll do the same in, in return. That's good. You gonna do solo? Or you gonna have your band? You know? I just play by myself. Okay. Well, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> it's easy. There's no rules. And uh, when I do the solo thing, it's like I'm not working. It's what I do at home. I <laughs> I, I kind of giggle when I come home and go. I, it's like I didn't work. I just did what I'd do if I wasn't working. <laughs> so I enjoy it. How much do you, How much a, a day do you think you practice? You, you play every day? Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably three or four hours, and it goes Really? By. The problem is that I get off on a tangent, and I don't know. I think it's been 15 or 20 minutes, and it's been two hours. It was like <laughs> that. Or I'm working on uh, some stuff right now that uh, uh, this fella, you remember the old Bobby Womack tune? I'm in love, love, oh, love. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a beautiful guitar intro thing to that. Um, and a fellow friend of mine sat in one time and he played this beautiful intro to the thing. I said, show me that. And he passed away. Ooh. I mentioned this because uh, when I went to see Delbert last time, his guitar player did the sound check for him mm-hmm. here in Portland. Um, and I went to see Delbert and he wasn't there, but uh, James Pennybaker was doing mm-hmm. the sound check and playing the guitar. And he played that tune. Oh. And I said, I've always wanted to learn that little intro thing. And I said, I... Steve Bruton showed it to me once, and he said, that's who taught it to me. Wow. I'll show you. Ooh. So he sent me a video of it, and that's been my homework assignment lately. I've been, because it's just different kind of fingerings and uh-huh. different kind of ways. Uh-huh. Muscle memory is different on the, to play this thing. Uh-huh. So I'm drilling over and over and get my hands to play chords it's not used to. I'm working on an interesting version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The, huh. uh, of all things, somebody that really I think is... Stunning, and I can watch forever. Uh, Eva Cassidy, uh-huh. a tenor player of all things, said, You should listen to Eva. Have you ever heard Eva Cassidy do it? And I went, I don't know what you're talking about. Went on and looked at Eva Cassidy. She does all these popular tunes uh-huh. by herself, uh-huh. but her patience, her voice, uh-huh. she leaves all this elbow room around it. Wow. And uh, it just stops you in your tracks. It'll bring you yeah. to tears to hear her do. Yeah. She'll do Imagine. She'll do Take Me to the River. Uh-huh. She'll do uh-huh. all these different tunes. And she she passed away in her 20s. Wow. So it's you can't go see her, but there's some good video stuff of her. And that was the inspiration to try to come up with an arrangement of 
somewhere over the rainbow of my own. That makes sense. And it'll be in that Lloyd area that I can't yeah. <laughs> describe. Tom Waits used to do that. Really? Tom Waits. You ever heard Tom Waits' version of, of uh, Someday somewhere from West Side Story? No. There's a place for us. Except when he sings, he goes, there's a place for us. <laughs> and you know who else used to do that stuff? It was Dave Van Ronk. Really? You know Dave Van Ronk did a version of Teddy Bear's Picnic? No, but if I, you go down to the woods today. <laughs> I can, that makes sense, though. <laughs> That's good. Oh, man. You know, I, he came to Portland one time. I hadn't been here very long, and I was doing a radio show on Saturday mornings. And on a commercial station, and he and he was actually playing at Artichoke back then when it was on Hawthorne. Kate and Steve brought him over to the radio station, but all he was really interested in talking about was the Pope had made, had released a record that he had made when he was a in his twenties. The Pope. And now is the Pope singing or playing an instrument? Both. Or? What's he play? I don't, I don't know, but anyway, Dave was obsessed by it. Dave Van Ronk was obsessed by the Pope playing playing music. For some reason. The funky Pope. I want to hear Every that. time I tried to get him on another subject, he wanted to come back to talking about the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll probably have a lot of listeners. Yeah. Did you ever see Dave Van Ronk? No. I did because I was on the East Coast. And, you know, he was, of course, the mayor of McDougal Street uh, back then. Wow. And uh, he ruled. I mean, you know, he was the guy. When Dylan came to, came to New York and, and, and wanted to, to, to play uh, in, in, in a couple of clubs, he had to go through Dave Van Ronk. What a time and place to be. That's yeah. why your show's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's just, boy, oh, boy. All right, so um, so this is going to be a cool show. You're going to be June, Sunday, June 26th Yeah. At, uh, at the Mission, which is nice. I haven't been in the Mission for a long time. Yeah. They used to have some nice uh, music there. Uh, I forget the name of the guy. Uh, he left town. But anyway, he, there was a, they, they had, and I, I did, uh, the, I, I put together a, a uh, memorial for John Callahan at the Mission Theater. Remember wow. John, the cartoonist? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The guy in a wheelchair? Yes. Do you remember he did an album with uh, Terry Robb? No. Terry, did, I don't think Terry, Terry might have played on it, but it was, it was, it was very strange, as you might expect. <laughs> I would hope, yeah. <laughs> so what good. are you writing? What are you writing about these days? Has, how, how has the, the troubles affected it? Because I know that, that you know there was there was a time when you you did a song about what was going on, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, sang yeah. it right on the, on this podcast. Yeah, I, I wrote a lot then because I was really sometimes some mornings I was really upset. I watched the news and just yeah. horrified at the hate and the racism. Yeah, and the, it just blatant and no apology for it, and it, it was hurtful. Yeah, but I would see. People coming out of the woodwork just to help yeah. people that needed food, and they would—it wasn't a law, or you have—they just wanted to help exactly. their friends and neighbors eat. Yeah. And you'd say these people don't get on the news enough because the ones that are getting the attention are not representative, I think, of the majority of the people that do yeah. want to help each other, yeah. get through, solve problems. So I wrote some about we need to do more in that way. Um, Rodney King experience yeah. um, from way back was coming to light again yeah. uh, with George Floyd and I wrote one about that in particular mm -hmm. with George Floyd's name in it and so on about the brutality of of our species for, the, for mm -hmm. that matter 
every day, you know, with, with, with Trump and, and all the things that were just hate-motivated, mm -hmm. anger-motivated, was not healthy for our community. So uh, it sponsored me to, to write about it. But mm -hmm. when I sang, I, on my Little Blue Mondays, I sang about it. I had a couple people not like that I was, I guess, political. But to me, it wasn't politics. It was uh, hurtful human nature. Right. We can do better than that. Yeah. And we need to encourage doing better than that. Yes. Um, and I don't think name-calling helps, so I try to reflect that there is goodness and we can go toward that right. more. Um, no, I agree. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be calling names, except for, those, except for those rotten motherfuckers who love Trump. But it's, a be, <laughs> it's, it's the behavior, the hurtful behavior. It's yeah. not this person that was or a that joke, person. By the way. It's, there's probably a good person at heart underneath, but the behavior is hurtful, yeah. and we should identify that yeah and not encourage so has that eased up and are you still writing about it that or what, kind of are, what are you writing about well now things have really cooled out and i i, I kind of got everything out uh -huh. on the recording the uh, um the one we got to go down and make in tennessee yeah well, tennessee well, we're going to link to that to, to the podcast episode where you tell that whole story the magical event and everything about yeah. it the it was able to come about because of the kindness of so many people, and mm -hmm. I wanted to thank them. The funding for it was people volunteered. Sure. Um, the guy who invited me to do it, his work, the people that played on it, mm -hmm. all these things just snowballed in a way that it took me on a journey of joy that I – it renewed my faith in humans. That's what it did. Yeah, yeah. And I think it shows. I think it's in the music. Um, mm -hmm. You feel it. Because one of the things he said was don't overthink this. When you come out here mm – -hmm. I don't want you to rehearse these tunes and this is how it's going to go. Nice. Just come out here and do that thing you do. Great. And count to four. What luck. Just do that Not thing luck. you I mean, do. You, and you've, you've earned it, and but it still. Stop worrying about making mistakes or getting it perfect. Yeah. Just do that thing you do. What? So I did, and uh, he said, you know, an engineer would say, encouraging things, he says, your vocals are in the moment and they're all first takes. I don't have to go back. And, yeah. I didn't do it. I just did the next one. Then we did the next one. And he'd say, now when you come, go back and put a solo on something, he said, I'll, I'll record it three times. Uh -huh. And it'll all be in there. So just go crazy. Do whatever you want. Wow. Don't worry about it. Uh, well, you have earned that privilege, Lloyd. Well, and the company I was in was supportive yeah. of those things in a way that was embracing it wasn't like threatening uh -huh. you know you screwed up now we got to do it over right there wasn't any of that one tune i said it's going to start out with two bars of guitar pretty aggressive two bars of that and then you fall into it and i come in ran and and they come in i went or that but as i listened to it things started to attach to that in a way uh -huh. that I, wow, that was 180 degrees from the ball I threw you. And they said, wow. if we had played it at that tempo, it would have sounded frantic. So they brought an understanding of all this experience to when they did play something. It's like a great actor. They aren't just saying the words. They look at the words, and it, it transfers a vision, an attitude, um, and what it is you want to be heard. And you play that way. And I mm -hmm. went, wow. And we're, so we're throwing the ball back and forth and getting to a place we wouldn't get to on our own. Mm -hmm. That's a team effort. And it was joyful. It was fun. It was yeah. like we were 10 years old, yeah. staying up late at night or something. Yeah. Then uh, I had contributors that helped get it made that volunteered. Yeah. 
um, and the release party and the support for the recording was so great that I was rolling the dice and, and kind of worried of the outcome and instead it had an energy of its own and uh, yeah. so I'm really happy about that whole recording you know Lloyd, and the stories told on it you know Lloyd the thing is the thing is I, I guess it exists in, in other cities okay but this town will come to come to, will run to help you I, and I didn't know that they I sounded you, cynical they until helped, this. They helped Curtis. They helped me with through this last surgery. Good. You know? Good. They just, they're just there for you. It's amazing. It's yes. amazing. It really is. I was, you know, uh, I was so grateful, uh, you know, the, 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 when people came to, to, to my aid during this, la during this last surgery. Oh, I'm glad. Such it a was, good lesson to learn, too. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. 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 Well, look, I'm glad you're here. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. It's great to be back in Artichoke for me. It's I'm, I'm glad you're here. It's not, you know, because uh, it's better to, to sit across the table from somebody. Just well, especially it. somebody that has the passion for the music and the history and experience you have. Well, I wish I could remember some of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there. You just, the it's details just are a little. If I could just, like, hit myself in the head and jog some of this stuff loose. Oh, yeah. It would be better, you know? I'll get a memory and I'll just start, I'll just smile for what appears to be no reason. And right. I, go, I can't explain it, but yeah, I just yeah. had a great memory there. And right. then I'll, I'll be I'll be talking to somebody and for, forget somebody's name, and you know, a half hour later I'm in the car driving around. I go, oh, that was uh, what's the name? It was him. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, well, you ask about what's kind of coming up and what's on the plate. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I'm writing acoustically, which I never did before. Wow. I always wrote for a band. Yeah. And now I've had I watched a couple things take form in front of me and went, I know where that came from. And, uh, like what? When I was down in Tennessee, mm -hmm. I would, I was in a mattress upstairs of the studio <laughs> in this room, and it was, I'd go out for a walk, and I remember I, they didn't have a, a facility in that building. I'd have to go over to the big house, so in the middle of the night I'd get up and go out to the big house, and while I'm out there, there was this noise, this racket, really loud, uh -huh. and I thought it was like, uh, I don't know, it's. I don't know what it was. It was a roar of this racket. And I mentioned it the next day to the people who live there, and they uh -huh. said, oh, that's the frogs. <laughs> and I was like, what? The frogs. Wow, I thought we were being overtaken by grasshoppers or something. But <laughs> then I saw the next night, I, I thought, I saw meteor showers shooting stars and so on. And they said, no, those are fireflies. <laughs> wow. Well, so I wound up, and all these verses came out trying to describe what I was experiencing at night out there um, that we don't experience where I live uh, and the rolling hills and the experience that I'd had for the last week there food wise and otherwise and the people and I wound up writing a tune that I call Summertime in Tennessee mm. that describes that area mm -hmm. in the summertime from someone who doesn't live there and I could I like the song a lot and I kind of watched it build itself mm -hmm. and so I'm doing more of that kind of thing Wow, now, and I, I'm next recording. I hope to have all original songs solo acoustic, wow. and I'm having to work on my abilities to play acoustically uh -huh. to execute it. There's some things Mississippi John Hurt does, and so on, that uh, I'm having to work harder at the detail of that stuff to execute the yeah. things I want to do. So I'm learning, growing, and so that's what the next recording will be a lot different than what I'm normally doing. But before that, I discovered 
a recording Janice Scroggins and Carlton Jackson and I did at oh. Mississippi Studios. Oh, my God. And they're both gone, and they were both mentors to me. Yeah. And it's really good, and I want to remember it. So I want to make that a disc. Yeah. I hope um, I'm really having a good, busy summer, and then come when winter comes, I'm going to work on uh, producing that recording of Janice and, and Carlton and I. Wow. Uh, Where was it recorded? Mississippi Studios. Oh. And it was a live game. It was gig. live. Oh, my God. I'm playing acoustic guitar, Carlton on drums, and Janice, again, one of those players that if you've ever played with her, you'll never forget it because she would embrace you, set you up, and, and take you to a place that you go, how did you do that? Yeah. Um, and it's captured. And I was kind of stunned and went, I have to remember that moment in time and uh -huh. I, because they're gone and it can't happen again. And I, I, for, in my life, it was an important time. So wow. I'm going to put that out too. Do you, are you finished any of those songs? Do you, are you ready to sing in any of those any of those solo songs in public? I'm working at it. Like now, I can try. I don't know. Uh, you could take us out with you could take us out with that tune. Okay, let's see if I can remember it well enough to. Well, we've, we you know we, it, we we all understand that this is a work in progress. Yeah. Okay, we understand that. And, uh, it'll get, it'll get and, and I appreciate you, uh, you know. Fireflies and frogs love a summer night. Paul, you can watch them sparkle bright. Looking for a mate, looking for love, looking for the one they've been dreaming of. Come along with me, let me show you what I see. Late at night when the stars are bright and there's no one else around. Look up to the stars All the secrets are Just you and I And those fogs and those fireflies It's got a lot more to it, but that's the idea of what I'm working That's terrific. Doing. Yeah, it, it's really relaxing when you get to doing it. Yeah. I, got, yeah. I have to memorize all the verses in the bridge and everything. <laughs> All right, Lloyd, thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, man, this nice is to see keeping you. the music alive, and I'm glad, you know, all that you're going through, you have the passion to continue. Well, I, don't, I can't do anything else. Yeah, man, I'd like you to know, hear that thing. I yeah, wish I could cool. do something else. If I could do something else to make money, I might, I might do it, <laughs> but I don't know how to do anything else. Like I know? say, it's this or work for a living. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as we like to say at the, at the end of these, that's entertainment. That's entertainment. I tell you, it's rough out there. It's like shooting pool with a rope. <laughs>